Des Bryant is a saint, and the Saints have Des Bryant. And I'm excited, not excited, ecstatic. Because before Des Bryant broke his foot, he was targeted at least 138 times per season by Tony Romo. Caught at least 88 passes from Tony Romo. And scored at least 12 touchdowns in three consecutive seasons with Tony Romo. Why do I keep saying the name Tony Romo, Tony Romo, Tony Romo, Tony Romo? Because Tony Romo also matters when analyzing Des Bryant. Because this idea that at 30, Des Bryant's over, Des Bryant's washed, Des Bryant can't play because he can't separate. Think critically to move beyond narrative-driven analysis. You must think critically. What's the probability that Des Bryant can't play at age 30? It's very low. Andre Johnson had a career year at age 30. He also stood 6'2", 220 pounds. Big receivers age more quickly because they're so big. The deterioration of the fast twitch muscle fibers affects them more. That's intuitive. And that's why when the Saints tried out Des Bryant and Brandon Marshall, they chose Des Bryant because Des Bryant's three years younger. His fast twitch muscle fibers are three years fresher than Brandon Marshall, who's taller and heavier. These players are not comparable. Once you reach age 33, it's most likely over for you, but not age 30. I would argue Des Bryant still has two more productive years left. It's not like he needed explosive athleticism to win in the NFL, and then he lost it. He runs a 4-5-7. That's what he ran coming out of Oklahoma State. He's never been fast. He's never been particularly agile. And if you watched the videos Des Bryant posted on social media, him going through his workouts, I know I thought, whoa, you put that out for the public to consume? You look slow, bro. But it didn't matter. Why does that matter? It's Des Bryant. He wins in contested situations. The argument against Des Bryant is that in today's NFL, offenses need wide receivers that can operate in space. They need quickness. They need Cooper Cup, not Des Bryant. You want the elite agility score from your pumped up slot receiver, not strength at the catch point. There are very few wide receivers in this world stronger at the catch point than Des Bryant. And with many teams, I would agree, putting Des Bryant in the slot in Houston would be just as effective as putting Demarius Thomas there. I don't see a measurable difference between these two players at this point in their respective careers. I'd be about as excited about Des Bryant in Houston as I am Demarius Thomas, which is not very excited. But the thing is, Des Bryant didn't go to Houston, did he? He went to New Orleans. He went to New Orleans to play the slot with Drew Brees because Cameron Meredith suffered a setback in his surgically repaired knee. This was heartbreaking news. He comes back from a multi-ligament knee reconstruction, one of the more complicated and difficult rehabilitations in orthopedics, and his knee wasn't right, and he's going back under the knife. This was the opportunity Des Bryant was waiting for. I do not believe Des Bryant's washed because I am able to think critically. If you just read mainstream sports media articles and scroll down your Twitter timeline, this Des Bryant signing in New Orleans isn't a big deal because Des Bryant can't separate and Des Bryant's washed anyway. Moving on to the next story. Stop right there. I don't think Des Bryant can succeed outside in the NFL against press coverage given his inability to separate at age 30. But you're telling me that he gets a run at the line of scrimmage, he can play a couple yards off the line of scrimmage and be that Marquez Colston receiver 
for Drew Brees. Marquez Colston also not particularly fast. But if you play Des Bryant in the slot and he can get a running start on whatever slot corner will be covering him and you have Drew Brees delivering the football, he will be difficult to stop. So I'm more excited about Des Bryant signing in New Orleans than almost any other fantasy analyst. And the argument is, well, he, if he had anything left, he would have signed in Cleveland or New York. Ah, ah, yes, yes. The fallacies that support the nonsense narratives have arrived. Like a paper coming across my desk that I can debunk by just drawing lines through the arguments. I would need to see significant evidence that Des Bryant is washed at age 30. One of the most prolific wide receivers in recent memory would need to have some kind of major injury, like what Cameron Meredith suffered, to convince me that it, his legs just don't work anymore. That's not the case with Des Bryant. He's years removed from a broken foot. It's healed. Julio Jones has worse feet than Des Bryant. So why didn't Des Bryant sign with another team? Well, if you're thinking critically, you put yourself in Des Bryant's shoes. Would you want to go play in Cleveland for a rookie quarterback? Would you want to go play for the Jets and Sam Darnold, now Josh McCown? No, Des Bryant is an ultra-competitive uber-athlete that wants to compete at the highest level. Given that, I believe that when Des Bryant tried out for the Cleveland Browns, they were interested, but they could not come to terms because his contract demands were so high. He said, okay, I'll play in Cleveland, but you have to pay me a significant amount, more than you're willing to pay, most likely. He likely had the same conversation with the Jets. And his agent may have a list of teams he's willing to play for, the Packers, the Patriots, the Saints, the Rams. And it could be that these teams are inviting him to try out, even though they're not on his list, in hopes of convincing him to play for them. That could have been the purpose of Des Bryant's visit to Cleveland. It could have been John Dorsey pitching Des, not Des pitching John Dorsey. We don't know. We weren't in those meetings. But now it's week 10. The season is slipping away and the Saints call you? And the Saints have X amount to spend against the cap? You can see Des Bryant's contract demands coming down to a place where they can come to terms in week 10 when it's the Saints. It's a big difference. Coming to terms with the Saints in week 10 versus coming to terms with the Browns in week 1. He's wanted a prove-it deal all along. He stated that six months ago. This is the ultimate prove-it deal. You can just prove it over seven weeks plus the playoffs with the most accurate passes being delivered by, by the NFL's most prolific quarterback of all time. Tell me how you're going to get a better prove-it deal than that. You're not! Des Bryant held out. Des Bryant won. And now he may win it all because the Saints look like a Super Bowl contender. They're number one in a lot of power rankings. And the last time Des Bryant played with an aggressive, accurate quarterback, he put up over 1,300 yards and 16 touchdowns in 2014 with Tony Romo. That was the last time we saw Des Bryant tethered to a prolific quarterback with downfield accuracy. The quarterback-wide receiver relationship is a symbiotic one. And I'm excited to see the symbiosis between Breeze and Bryant. You can forget about Traquan Smith this season. It's all about Thomas Bryant Camara in that Saints passing game. It'll be a consolidated target share. The targets will be siphoned away from Ben Watson, away from Traquan Smith, to Des Bryant. Des Bryant signs with New Orleans because things are not what they seem. The media is too quick to dismiss players as washed. Just like in politics, too quick to dismiss revolutionary candidates as irrational, poor tacticians. Because that's what I'm hearing about Beto O'Rourke in Texas. 
He could have had it. He only lost by a couple percentage points. It was his own fault. He moved too far to the left. You can't win in Texas by advocating for the abolishment of ICE, Trump's impeachment, Medicare for all. What are you doing, Beto? Ted Cruz, one of the most unlikable senators in the country, set up to lose in 2018. All you had to do was play your cards right, Beto. Beto, I love that. The names of the candidates for that Senate race in Texas tell you everything you need to know about national politics. You have a Democrat named Robert calling himself Beto to pander to his base and a Republican named Raphael calling himself Ted to pander to his base. Oh, classic. And I'm hearing political analysts from the New York Times implying that Beto O'Rourke fucked up. He blew it. Beto blew it. He miscalculated. He thought he could ride a blue wave in Texas. What an idiot. And I agree. If Beto O'Rourke had pivoted away from abolishing ICE and impeaching Trump, he might have won Texas. I agree with that. I don't dispute that assessment of the campaign. So if some New York Times analyst knows the optimal tactics for a Democrat to win in Texas, and the podfather knows, you're telling me that Beto O'Rourke doesn't know that? Who the fuck are you to say that? New York Times. This is why people do not like the New York Times. They think they're smarter than everyone else. They think they know more about Texas politics than Beto O'Rourke does. Fuck out of here. And I'm a Beto fan. I became a Beto fan when he answered a question at a town hall about whether or not Colin Kaepernick kneeling was un-American. And this version has actually been shortened by 50%. Because this guy's so damn long-winded. He might be more long-winded than Obama. And I don't know how that's possible. And please excuse the melodramatic violins in the background. Check it out. The question is, how do you feel about NFL players who take a knee during the national anthem? My, my short answer is no. I don't think it's disrespectful. But I'm reminded, somebody mentioned reading the, the Taylor Branch book. Um, you did. Um, Parting the Waters and the King Years. And, and when you read that book and find out what Dr. King and this nonviolent, peaceful movement to secure better, because they didn't get full, civil rights for their fellow Americans, the challenges that they faced, the, the young girls who died in the church bombing, um, those who were punched in the face, spat upon, dragged out by their collar at the Woolworth lunch counter for sitting with white people at the same lunch counter in the same country where their fathers may have bled the same blood on the battlefields of Omaha Beach or Okinawa or anywhere that anyone ever served this country. Um, The freedoms that we have were purchased not just by those in uniform. Peaceful, nonviolent protests, including taking a knee at a football game to point out that black men, unarmed, Black teenagers unarmed and black children unarmed are being killed at a frightening level right now, including by members of law enforcement without accountability and without justice. And this problem, as grave as it is, is not going to fix itself. And they're frustrated, frankly, with people like me and those in positions of public trust and power who have been unable to resolve this or bring justice for what has been done and to stop it from continuing to happen in this country. And so nonviolently, peacefully, 
While the eyes of this country are watching these games, they take a knee to bring our attention and our focus to this problem to ensure that we fix it. That is why they are doing it. And I can think of nothing more American than to peacefully stand up or take a knee for your rights anytime, anywhere, anyplace. So thank you very much for asking the question. Beto's pretty charismatic. And Ted Cruz has a punchable face. So you put charismatic Kaepernick fan against punchable face guy. I'll take the charismatic Kaepernick fan. Not because I'm on the blue team. Fuck the blue team. But because I'm discerning about the people I support. Richard Blumenthal's on the blue team. And I will never vote for that guy. And I'm discerning when reading articles in the New York Times analyzing politics, analyzing political strategy in Texas. Now, I know human beings are irrational. Yes, we know that. We are wired to be rational. At every turn, human beings want to be rational, but there are times when our cognitive biases or limitations in our ability to understand the world, the availability heuristic, for example, make us susceptible to suboptimal decision-making. But you're telling me that with the big issues of the day, Beto O'Rourke simply got it wrong? He simply miscalculated? If you think that, you probably think that the Browns just passed on Des Bryant for the league minimum, right? <laughs> no. Probably not what happened. Think critically. Be discerning. Think critically. If you're Beto O'Rourke, why would you want to be senator? It doesn't make sense. If your goal is to be president of the United States and you think you can get there in two years, the clock is ticking. Going to Washington to pretend to be a senator for two years when you really want to be president only hurts your chances of becoming president. It's a catastrophic waste of time. You have to go to Washington. You have to set up your office. You have to hire a staff. You have to learn the ways of the Senate. You have to pay attention to what you're voting on. You have to show up to hearings. I mean, it's a job. If Beto had won, it would have severely hampered his ability to run for president. Now he can take this war chest of campaign contributions that he opted not to divert to other Democrats. So Democrats approached him at the end and said, hey, listen, you're not going to win. Can you divert some of your contributions to Democrats in competitive races? And he said, no, 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 I can win, number one. And number two, this money is going to be put to better use after this campaign. Because that was the other head scratcher, right? The New York Times political analysts criticizing the Beto campaign. Why aren't they spending more? They're focusing on a grassroots effort. They're not spending enough. Cruz is outspending O'Rourke on television ads. It's a huge mistake. Beto, fuck it up. Nah, man. Smart. At every turn, I believe Beto O'Rourke knew what he was doing in Texas, just like Des Bryant knew what he was doing in free agency. Beto O'Rourke needs to win the Democratic nomination for president in 2020 and staking out a position early against ICE, against Trump, pro-healthcare, helps him with his base, the national Democratic base. He needs to woo national Democrats, not Texas Republicans. Think big picture. Get your head out of your ass, New York Times, and think big picture. Des Bryant's playing chess when other free agents are playing checkers. Beto O'Rourke is playing chess when other Senate candidates are playing checkers. And even the New York Times can't figure out what game he's playing.
Because there's plenty of time for him to pivot and woo moderate Republicans. He can do that once he gets the nomination. But for now, he needs every contribution he can get and every Democrat vote in every state. That's the game he's playing. Des Bryant is playing for 2019 and beyond. The best way to get there is to go play with Drew Brees and maybe win a Super Bowl. And yes, I just used Des Bryant signing with the Saints as a platform to discuss the Texas Senate race. I just did that because I'm really good at podcasting. And I'll tell you precisely how many know this. 969 people on planet Earth appreciate how good I am at podcasting. That's the number of patrons we have. Currently subscribed on patreon.com forward slash podfather. That's a big number, but it needs to be bigger. The reason it's as high as it is is because so often when I talk about supporting the show on Patreon, I go negative. I would be a hell of a politician. I understand the power of negative advertising. I also understand the power of shaming an audience because that's the most powerful device I have to generate contributions on Patreon, to shame you, to remind you that I am giving you value and you are giving me nothing in return unless you go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and contribute to the production of this show. Every dollar that gets submitted on Patreon goes toward the production of this podcast. I'm talking to you on a microphone that costs over $500. It was paid for by the patrons. If you're not a patron, you're not helping. You're a free rider. That's how I used to generate new contributions. But like Beto O'Rourke, I refuse to go negative this time. Instead, I am going to overwhelm you with incentives. If you are one of the 31 patrons that helps us get to 1,000 patrons by the end of November, you will be put in a drawing. And the winner of that drawing receives a free 30-minute fantasy draft strategy session from me on the phone in 2019. Dynasty draft, seasonal draft, setting DFS lineups, doesn't matter. 30 minutes of my time is yours if you go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and help us get to a thousand. And what are these incentives? What incentives are you talking about? The incentives are if you have a trade that you're pondering or you can't decide who to drop, you can post that question in the community section of Patreon and I respond to those questions when I'm taking a shit. I used to read books. I now read less books while shitting because I'm answering fucking trade questions. That's the cross I have to bear. I'll be doing it tonight. Watching Panthers Steelers with a phone in my hand answering your questions about your fantasy team. Because if you're on Patreon, I actually care about your fantasy team. If you're on Twitter, I could give a shit. You're on Patreon? I'm here for you. That's one benefit of joining the community on Patreon. You also get gear. This would be a good time to sign up for the hoodie level sponsor because then you get an official Roto Underworld hoodie. And beyond that, I produce a show called The Backstage Pass every Friday for patrons only. And it's available on your podcast feed if you support the show on Patreon. What more do I have to do? I mean, what more? Extra content. Personal interaction. And swag.
right? And sometimes I have a question about the direction of the show. Should I do a segment where I juxtapose Des Bryant with Beto O'Rourke? Will that work? I throw that out to the producers of the show on Patreon, and they let me know. Man, maybe I should stick to football. Maybe I shouldn't even mention this election that everyone's talking about. Stick to sports. I'll tell you this. Based on the polls on Patreon, the true producers of this show, the listeners I care about, they don't believe in sticking to sports. And I know you're thinking, well, geez, I... How can all of these contributions be used in the production of a podcast? Is it that expensive to produce a podcast? The show is better now than it's ever been. Anyone that's been listening knows that. Do you want to know why that is? Because I have a lot more time to think and research and craft questions and produce the show behind the scenes. Think we had this many sound effects and fun segments in 2016? Hell no. You want to know why? Because I didn't have Peter Howard helping me with the rankings. That's why. Because I spent very little time actually podcasting. And a lot more time managing various aspects of Player Profiler. Your contributions help me support this team of people that put me in a position to succeed as a podcaster, first and foremost. So this is a test. I have the stats from previous months. And we will find out in November... What's more effective, a positive pitch or a negative ad? And speaking of ads, this show has one ad. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight. One. My bookie. Go there to place bets on games and player props. Just click the link on the right of any player page below the SparkX score. Now, let's talk to my guest. His name is Jody Smith. And of course, he's from Texas. Follow him at... Jody Smith NFL on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Jody Smith. You know Jody Smith. He's the target czar over at Fantasy Pros and CBS Sports. Jody Smith, talk to me. How you doing, Matt? I mean, yeah, targets are, oh boy, I'm, we're just to the point here at the beginning of the week where I've had to look at all those targets. So, I, I, you know, I'm just up to my eyeballs and, and looking at all these passes every week. And with the way the NFL game is developing and, and going so pass heavy, it's uh, it becomes quite a task. But, you know, it's a lot of fun to be able to break those down and present that stuff to all the fantasy pros and the CBS readers out there. So, like I said, I really enjoy doing it. And Thanks for having me on. I know we've been trying to connect for a long time, so it's it's awesome to finally get together. Last week, I talked to Greg Smith, so same last name, not related, though. Smith is the most common name in the United States, so we're not even going to ask if you're related. You're definitely not related, just like I'm not related to anyone named Kelly, except a few people that are actually my relatives. You sure you're not, you're not related to Chip Kelly? Chip Kelly. Wow. Right? Remember Nick Foles was going to be a top quarterback in the league because of Chip Kelly? What happened there? So we'll talk a lot about wide receivers and targets today, so I'm excited about that. In general, you talked about this is a passing league now. It's a passing league now more than it's ever been. There's an offensive renaissance. How do you feel about that? How is that impacting fantasy football? Well, it's a lot of fun to watch. You know, I I grew up uh, my formative years. Uh, you know, when I back when I played uh, was was what would be considered an, an uglier time 
uh, in football in the early to mid nineties. When, uh, when you look back at the stats now, it's just incredible. Like nobody would get 4,000 passing yards and, uh, you know, top 10 quarterbacks. You played actual NFL football. <laughs> yeah. But defense, you know, this defense was, is this theory of uh, trying to stop your opponent that actually used to be part of, of these old games until the great ter- transition when people realize, you know, what's more, more important than stopping your opponent is uh, ratings on the television and via advertisers. So let's uh, let's make this a little more exciting. Well, who did you play for? Briefly in uh, in college. So you know, I, it's not like I actually have a, a real background, but you know, I, I used to play a little bit, like just like the, the rest of us used to. But back then, you know, it was just a different it was just a different game. So anyone that's been doing this and, and fantasy football, you know, that's you know twenty plus years in has completely had to evolve everything but to be honest uh you know the current landscape is fun you know it's fun to watch it makes it uh, much more entertaining but it's also more of uh you know a millennial type thing where it's just constant action constant sources of uh movement and things right in front of you all the time and and no one can relate to what it was like to research you know pre-internet which i actually go back before the internet when i was doing fantasy football and no way that's awesome it's just impossible for people to fathom uh stealing newspapers from your high school bus stop so you could finalize your box scores manually in your meat notebook with your pencil and that's an error that uh, I grew up in and loved it. It was a lot of fun, but now it's totally different. You know, everything you could ever want uh, is right in front of your fingertips. And Matt, you know, with player profilers, sites like that, you used advanced analytics and data. I mean, just so many stats you could never even envision in your head or just right there for the taking. So it's a lot easier for people now, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's a lot more fun. We do have a lot of stats on playerprofiler.com. That is for sure. So looking back, your fantasy strategies heading into 2018. What was your strategy this offseason? Uh, it's it generally always going to be very boring. Uh, I, I like to be flexible. I'm the kind of person that, you know, to use the common terms that are thrown around the league. Uh, oh, no, he's going to say BPA. He's going to say best player available. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, value-based drafting, all those old terms. Oh, value-based drafting, too! Yes! I like to be flaccid. Flex- <laughs> flaccid? That sounds like a very flaccid draft strategy. You're right. Starting in the last four or five years, when we've seen all these phenomenal rookie running backs uh, come out of the league and take fantasy by storm, you had to have known that was going to cause the big switch over to from the going back five to seven years ago when PPR leaks first started becoming prominent and everything went so wide receiver heavy. You had to know eventually that it was going to a switch back to running back. So heading into the season, I didn't know that. I wish you had told me two years ago. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I saw it coming. I, I talked about it all the time. Damn it. Two years late having you on the podcast. I, I kind of figured that that running backs were going to dominate the first rounds of the draft, and they're going to probably again next year, at least until things start to, to click. So I kind of knew, depending on your draft or where you are, if you are were top five, you were definitely going to take one of the top four running backs without a doubt. You had to do that. But 
Uh, at that point, I probably was going to end up going more of a uh, wide receiver heavy type of draft. I mean, I don't want to say best available player. You've got to take some chances. You've got to do something to differentiate, differentiate yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to end up with the same players every, every time. So, Oh, that's true. Well, so you were doing the RB plus four wide receiver strategy that worked so well this year two years ago. I love that. I love that. Yeah, kind of, you know, I mean. Yeah, own it, Jody, own it. You killed it a couple of years ago, and you've just been parlaying that winning strategy into championships for years. Just say that. Well, I'll just let you say it. I'll just kind of humbly sit back. And <laughs> oh, it. yes, he's just going to sit back and let me say it. I'll say it. Okay, well, what about, you know, uh, 2017, everyone uh, everyone was off of DeAndre Hopkins because, uh, you know, he slowed down a little bit and didn't, didn't all that great with Houston's quarterbacks. And, and, you know, we kind of realized, some of us were like, this guy's like an extremely talented guy. It's just a matter of time before the situation gets there. The same thing happened here in 2018 with a guy like Mike Evans. Uh, he was slipping, you know, well into the third, and sometimes even late third round of drafts, and I was happily scooping it up. So sometimes it's just like, you know, talent has to trump opportunity and when you see things start to come together you're able to better kind of identify you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and go in a different direction here let everyone else take uh joe mixon and uh, leonard fournette and dalvin cook here in round two i'm gonna sit back and i'm gonna wait and maybe start tackling uh, running backs like terry cohen or alex collins these guys that i kind of like in the, you know in the fifth round and and that's how i kind of build my team Michael Thomas in the second round, ooh, right, over 200 yards in week nine. So, Mike Evans, you don't think he's overrated? I actually like him as a talent, but there are times like this week where he had, what, one catch for eight yards, something like that, where you just kind of scratch your head like, what in the hell is going on? How can a guy that's this good that, that – you know, the, the Bucks are throwing for 300, 400 yards a game. How can he just be completely removed from the game? I don't know that he's overrated, but uh, his... I mean, James Bradbury's good, but James Bradbury's not great. No, Evans tore him up. And James Bradbury held Mike Evans to one catch on 10 targets. And I was way off on Evans this week, man. I had him as a top five player because the last time they paired up was uh, week 16 last year. And uh, Evans put up something like eight catches and... 100 yards on uh, on Bradbury. So, and with the the Panthers are always basically shadowing coverage. So I thought, man, this is going to be another awesome week for Evans. You know, him and and uh, Fitz Magic have really clicked this year, better more so than Winston. So, yeah, that's it's going to hurt me over at uh, a Fantasy Pros ranking come out uh, later <laughs> this week because, like I said, I had Evans. I don't know wide receiver four, wide receiver five this week, and and uh, he was uh, off the charts bad and. You know, that's what you get with him. An elite talent, but, you know, someone who – it can be a head-scratcher. It seems like it's that – you know, the same thing with Deshaun Jackson. You know, he – it's like every time he puts together a couple of really, really good games there in Tampa, everyone gets excited again, and then he just disappears. And it's just kind of frustrating, obviously. Well, Deshaun Jackson's a lot easier to explain than Mike Evans. Deshaun Jackson's not getting the snaps and routes. You can't command targets when you're not on the field. Deshaun Jackson is currently operating as the Buccaneers' number four wide receiver, and that doesn't make any sense. The number two wide receiver on that depth chart, based on snap share recently, is Adam Humphreys. Mm -hmm. What the fuck, Jody? Like I said, man, hey, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's just been a head What are they doing? 
Why? Well, the coaching staff, the entire... In what world is he more deserving of snaps than Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin? How? Well, because 40% of his entire fantasy production just came from this one game. Other than that, Adam Humphreys was... uh, you know, he was a nice little player. He- I know, but week six, week four, 82% snap share. Week six, 82% snap share. Cleveland, week seven, 58% snap share. That's where it should be. Then week eight, 72. Week nine, 85% snap share. Meanwhile, while Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin are fighting over the remaining snaps. Doesn't make any sense. To me, it's like the Tampa staff becomes uh, realizing they're all in the hot seat. They, they're, they're becoming... Um, risk averse re- reactive it's like okay uh, well that just worked on one player one driver or, or one week so let's just keep doing that moving forward and of course defenses are gonna adjust quickly to those kind of things and sure enough it doesn't work the next week and there there they are so when you watch the game and you track these targets what happened was Adam Humphreys made some plays early and they just thought oh we're gonna ride the hot hand at wide receiver that's what happened yeah it's what it seemed like you see a lot of run after catch with him they weren't really targeting deep which they usually don't for the whole season but uh, you know we saw that he, this is his second touchdown where you know he broke a couple tackles and, and broke out deep and like I said Humphreys nice little player but uh you know he's definitely at best fourth in, in in talent when it comes to that receiving core and Chris Godwin that's another frustrating one that it's just hard to uh, pinpoint what they're doing there in Tampa I mean it's kind of working I guess overall from a standpoint because they're a fun offense to watch because their defense is so terrible I mean you might even argue that that's an ideal fantasy team but if they would actually just figure out their their usage a little bit more consistently you know it might be a you know more advantageous for all of us the Buccaneers don't understand that Yak is not sticky. Adam Humphreys is top 20 in the NFL right now in yards after the catch, and that's what the Tampa Bay coaches are chasing. They don't understand which statistics are actually predictive. And I will give you that Mike Evans is a better talent than Adam Humphreys. I will give you that. As overrated as Mike Evans is, I will give you that. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that at least. <laughs> Right, I mean. <laughs> so we're looking back. We talked about draft strategy. What was your best and worst take this year? Oh, heading into the draft, uh, I told everyone to to avoid LaShawn McCoy. I wanted nothing to do with him. You're talking about a 30-year-old running back that had, what, 2,600-plus career touches. Uh, I recognized that Buffalo far uh, overachieved last season. So uh, I had him really, really low in my rankings. I don't own him anywhere. Uh, a couple other guys I didn't want anything to do with was uh, Josh Gordon for you know various reasons, uh, mostly being that he's just not uh, – someone that you want to ever rely on. Derrick Henry, uh, another running back that I I wasn't that high on. I've never really liked him uh, in the NFL. I don't think he's – I definitely didn't think he was a very good fit for what they're going to do or they're trying to do in Tennessee. And and Keenan Allen, uh, another guy – I thought overachieved last year, led led the entire NFL, all wide receivers and red zone targets, which I did not think was sustainable. And sure enough, uh, he's doing nothing there. Just fading LaShawn McCoy and Derrick Henry alone is enough. Is enough. Your hat rack is full at this point. And... And Jimmy Garoppolo, you won't see anyone who was uh, lower on Jimmy Garoppolo than than probably than I was coming in here. Just not a guy. Just not a guy that I. <laughs> sorry, man. It was just. 
We talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, small sample trap Garoppolo. That's it. I mean, you looked at the when you look at the touchdown and interception totals, they were uh, they were well well below average. And when you looked at the defense, he was uh, just doing a lot of picking on uh, uh, opportunistic situations. Just not a guy that I thought was. Uh, so the eyes, the eyebrows, the chin that didn't do it for you, dude. You know that at some point he was like. QB5, QB6, and Dynasty ADP at some point this offseason. I thought that was just the most craziest thing I'd ever seen. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what you people are, are, are looking at, but no, I'm going to have nothing to do with that. Oh, I remember drafting Jimmy Garoppolo over Jared Goff even in Dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that Jared Goff also looked overrated heading into the season because you don't want to chase the system because the systems are fleeting in the NFL. <clears throat> Chip Kelly, <clears throat> But you can't draft Jimmy Garoppolo over Jared Goff. He's four years older, and he has a far inferior supporting cast. Just on those two factors alone, you can't draft Jimmy Garoppolo below Jared Goff in Dynasty. People don't realize this. Garoppolo is like similar age uh, to Blake Bortles, who's been in the league for, what, five seasons, something like that? Um, Yeah, we had Jimmy Garoppolo in that... Kirk Cousins zone, that Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford zone. He was a couple years younger, but he doesn't have the track record. He's not a proven performer in the league. That matters in Dynasty. It's forever. You own these guys forever. This is a major investment. You need to have a track record. God, you're so right about that. The very worst of recency bias where he went on a little kick there and you you know, you kind of cherry pick the numbers that you want to see versus uh uh, what you don't want to see, and you have that entire offseason uh, of hype about uh, Shanahan offense. It was everything. It was the coaching bias. I've talked about the, the psychological tests that have been done on quarterback faces where fans will you know pick out the quarterbacks based on their face. Looks drive perception, particularly at the leadership positions. There was a psychological leadership test and where you had to rate players based on their leadership skills, and it correlated with the looks test. It's like big surprise that that's how that works. So every single bias in the book, recency bias, small sample traps, I mean, every landmine you could lay out, you were going to get legs blown off drafting Jimmy Garoppolo in fantasy football in all formats. Now, what's your worst take? Give me your worst take. Come on. Give it up. Oh, players coming this season. I tell you, I missed uh, pretty bad on a couple of quarterbacks. Uh, Marcus Mariota, who uh, was somebody that I've always liked. I loved him in college. I, I liked what he was doing in a very bland Tennessee offense. When you know you bring in Matt LaFleur, I think, oh, man, Mark Mariota was trending in the right direction. He's going to be. Stop right there, Jody. You're not taking the L on Mariota. I'm not allowing you to take the L on Mariota. He had the most difficult schedule of any quarterback in the league this year, and he's been playing hurt. So those two factors alone would prohibit you from taking the L on Marcus Mariota. Run out the clock on Mariota. Do not take the L on Mariota. I'm not letting you take the L on Mariota. We're moving on. Anyone else that you whiffed on, you're not taking a loss on him. No. It's it's a treading water pick. It's one that still can, I agree with you, can get, can get better. And like I said, I still like him overall. I think he's a cash play in DFS this week. Put it that way. How about Dak? Is that okay if I take the L on Dak Prescott, another guy that I thought was going to be a little bit better? 
I think you can take the L on Prescott, although he had the second worst schedule of any quarterback this year, and he's been yeah. trending in the right direction ever since they got Amari Cooper. Yeah, they're temporary L's, but I'll, I'll take a big L also on uh, Eric Ebron, who I am notoriously uh, have always hated. Um, I tweeted and gladfully, gleefully retweeted Eric Ebron is never going to make it, and I got a lot of grief from people. You're not alone. The Detroit Lions inexplicably cut him for no reason. They could have just run out that contract, let him sign elsewhere, received compensatory picks, and they didn't do that. They decided just to eat it. That's how much they didn't like him. Yeah, well, I mean, that tells you something. But, you know, then again, look what the Lions are uh, trotting out of time. It's basically not even a part of their offense. But no, you can't trust the Lions. This may be the worst front office in the league. They may be even worse than the Dallas Cowboys. Somehow, some way, their player personnel may actually be worse than the Cowboys. It's been a rough, uh, it's been a rough twenty years or so for uh, a Lions fan. So I'm sure they don't disagree with you. Brutal. So who's your highest owned player in fantasy drafts? You know, besides my uh, the, the two aforementioned quarterbacks, who uh, I generally tended to obviously wait on quarterbacks as most of us do, James Conner. Uh, James Conner was a guy that I absolutely loved at Pitt, and he was such a good story with them coming back from a Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, He's a guy that I tried aggressively to pursue in all uh, dynasty leagues this offseason, and I was generally pretty successful uh, because I kind of – I didn't envision Le'Veon Bell sitting out this entire year, but I did see the writing on the wall that he's going to be gone in Pittsburgh. There's no way they're going to tag him again. There's no way they're going to pay him. This guy wants you know, $20, 25000000 million, whatever he wants per season, and you, know, you can argue if he earns it or deserves it or not. But I thought that Connor's like, this guy – this guy's awesome at, at pit at breaking tackles. He's he's been a phenomenal talent, and like I said, it's such a feel good story. So, he's a guy dynasty wise that I targeted two years ago, and I've obviously held on to him, and I was able to successfully acquire him in a couple of other other leagues. So, and you know that's worked out great. And you know moving forward, you know Bell's gone from Pittsburgh, so you really have to think that the Connor he's. He's got to be up there uh, top five dynasty-wise running backs at this point coming in. So the, the areas that, that I have him in, which is uh, you know a vast majority of my, of my teams, you know, I'm looking really, really good at running back. Absolutely incredible. James the Terminator Connor. You drop any running back in that Pittsburgh system and they will be successful because they throw to the running back. James Connor wasn't a target magnet at Pitt. It doesn't matter in that offense As long as you have size-adjusted athleticism, and that's what James Conner has. He's a big guy with some burst, and he did catch 20 passes in his final year at Pitt. So you go back and you look at the college resume, wasn't a pass catcher. Then the year after the cancer diagnosis, he beats cancer, starts catching passes, All of a sudden, his profile looks a lot more like an all-purpose back, and that's exactly what he is. At some point, your college resume stops mattering. You can no longer be labeled a between-the-tackles grinder. You're not a pounder. You are your NFL performances. And all signs point to James Conner being the next true NFL bell cow. And if you're an NFL bell cow in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, it's hard to beat, right? You have Todd Gurley in the Rams offense. But when you take the combination of the player's talent profile and the offense in which he's operating, how can James Conner not be a top 10 dynasty back. 
And it's been that way for a while in Pittsburgh. They've been with Roethlisberger for the most part. They've been successful enough where you, whether it was Jerome Bettis or Willie Parker or Le'Veon Bell, you know, whatever back has been thrust into that offense has uh, generally been successful. And what you were saying about ability to catch the pass in college, a lot of people look at, at just the college numbers and think, well, this kid didn't do it in college, so he can't do it. We heard that a lot about LeGarrette Blunt uh, at LSU. Didn't catch any passes, wasn't involved. He's going to be terrible. He's just going to be a two-down back. But just because a kid doesn't do a skill set in college doesn't mean they can't do it. It just wasn't part of their college resume. And what did what did Fournette do uh, as a rookie? Catch 36 passes, something like that. So it's the same thing with Connor. You know, it wasn't a skill that was fully developed uh, at Pitt, but it's one that, that certainly has uh, blossomed uh, here with, uh, with the Steelers. You think about players with better pedigrees coming out. Darius Geis, Joe Mixon, Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott. Well, Elliott, Mixon, certainly David Johnson, Darius Geis, they're all in far inferior situations to James Conner, and James Conner is only 23 years old. So explain to me how you would have Darius Geis ranked ahead of James Conner. Explain to me how you would have David Johnson at age 26 ranked ahead of James Conner. And then the conversation is, well, what about Joe Mixon? What about Kareem Hunt? What about Melvin Gordon? Well, it's a conversation now. Maybe you don't rank James Conner ahead of those players because they are going to produce as RB1s for the remainder of the season. And there's this Le'Veon Bell risk hanging over James Conner this season. But I see nothing stopping James Conner from thrusting himself into the top five dynasty running backs as soon as next season. And this last game against the Baltimore Ravens was a true bellwether game for James Conner. To go out and score 30 fantasy points and to be successful in all phases, to catch more passes than he has all season, and to be the most productive running back that the Baltimore Ravens have faced all season, that to me was a major bellwether game on James Conner's resume. It was like an official welcome ceremony into the ranks of the NFL's true bell cow backs. What a great player. God. He's not Alvin Kamara, though. I'm not going to put him ahead of Alvin Kamara. No, that was, that was my boy last year. I have him. Uh, <laughs> I have him in a pretty healthy amount of dynasty leagues too. So uh, I'm really fortunate. There's uh, several teams out there where I've got a, a three-man rotation of uh, Zeke and Connor and Kamara. So needless to say, I'm doing pretty well in a couple of dynasty teams. You're pretty good at this whole fantasy football thing, Jody. I didn't miss. <laughs> oh, stop it! Stop it! Last couple of years have been more hits than misses, though. <laughs> Just say it. Say it. I'm killing fantasy football lately. Say it. Uh, I've been awesome at fantasy football ever since uh, my first pick was Randall Cunningham. So, yes. There you go. That's it. That's it. I like that. I like now. Yes. Unburden yourself from any trappings of humility. I, I know what show I'm on. That's right. That's right. You know what show you're on. It's the Alvin Kamara show in New Orleans. And if that's true, after a two-week hiatus, Alvin Kamara back as the main back in New Orleans, what does that mean for Mark Ingram's fantasy value the rest of the season? Well, I can't say it's very, very optimistic here. It hasn't been very good uh, for Ingram. And the thing is, he's not really even being given the opportunity. Like, uh, I think we all kind of expected that uh, once a a big, burly Ingram got back and healthy and uh, that he would, at the very minimum, would take over all those red zone carries and and would take on at least half, maybe more to first and second, second down work. But, you know, that's not what we're seeing. Um, 
Alvin Kamara scored twice last week on rushing touchdowns inside the 20. Yeah, uh, Mark Ingram's only getting 1.8 red zone plays per game, whereas Kamara is uh, at 5.9, which is second in the NFL. Uh, Kamara, you know, he these are, are stats right here from uh, Player Profiler. Uh, look at look at Kamara. He's he's evading 6.2 tackles per game versus Ingram's 3.5. So you're talking double the efficiency here, and Kamara's outsnapped him. Ever since Ingram's first game, uh, Ingram played a few more snaps, but since that point moving forward, Kamara's outsnapped him in every game. It's like um, it's like Ingram's become – instead of it being a 1A, 1B situation, this is kind of like uh, Alvin Kamara has become the, the featured guy, and Mark Ingram looks like he's developing into the change of pace guy. But rather than, than being what we normally see in a change of pace situation, which is a, a guy who excels at catching the ball or – you know, getting out into space and lined out wide, we have this change of pace guy who is bigger and slower and just not as good. So, you know, for those people that held on to Mark Ingram uh, for their first four weeks, uh, you know, it's looking a little scary here. Uh, just that Kamara just looks so much better in every every facet uh, of the game. And just looking at, at, at that that usage that I just talked about, uh, I, I don't I don't know that they're going to get away from that. You're looking, talking about a Saints team to just beat the Rams. I mean, why why would you want to change anything that's been working? Yeah, Kamara's 31.1 percent juke rate is number 16 in the NFL. That's evaded tackles per touch. That's one of the reasons why he's number one in fantasy points per game. It's not Todd Gurley, it's Alvin Kamara. And when you look at his yards created and yards blocked. Yards blocked helps to drive our run-blocking efficiency metric. 114.8, number six in the league in run-blocking efficiency when Alvin Kamara carries the ball for the Saints. And you look at the Dominator rating, this is a satellite back. I mean, a satellite back with a 34.2% Dominator rating. That means that he's being used in all phases in such a way that he's accounting for over 33%. More than a third of the Saints' offense runs through Alvin Kamara on both run plays and pass plays. It's incredible that we have a satellite back plus because he's not a traditional between the tackles primary back in the top 10 in dominator rating. It's very exciting. I still think that Mark Ingram is going to be fantasy viable at times. We're just not going to know when. If you don't have Mark Ingram in best ball, you're not going to want to put him in flex. You have no idea what you're going to get. I'd rather flex Marlon Mack, for example. Marlon Mack is 22 years old. He's younger than James Conner. He's breaking out all over the place, similar to James Conner. Is Marlon Mack an RB1 the rest of the way? Uh, He's right there, I think, in the conversation, but... That might have more to do with the injuries and the ineffective play of some of the other guys that we all drafted as RB1s. Uh, I like what I've seen with Mac after he finally got healthy. Obviously, he battled some soft tissue injuries, some ankles, some hamstring things. And, and you know, last year he, he missed a couple of games with the same type of, of injuries. Always concerned. Four games already missed this year. But in, in the last two games, uh, 60% snap rate, uh, that's a good thing. He's shown uh, three-down ability. He's losing – most of the reps, uh, passing-wise, uh, Naheem Hines is getting in there. But a, a slight concern for me uh, with Mac isn't more so other backs on a roster because I think he's going to continue to command most of the backfield. Schedule's a little tough uh, for the Colts. Uh, a little tough? Ground game down the stretch here. A little tough? <laughs> 
Two, okay, two games with the Jags, who are seventh uh, against the run. Schedule's really tough, buddy. The Titans, they got to play the Titans still, who are fourth. And they got to play the Texans, who uh, are 11th. So you're talking four games here. And, you know, when a fantasy playoffs, what do we have? Six games left before championship games. So uh, four out of those six games are going to be against uh, top 12, top 11 uh, run defenses. So, um where I like the talent, I like the opportunity, I like the situation in Indy. Um, you know, we kind of, kind of, let's not overreact to those two games that came against uh, better situations and, and realize, okay, let's, uh, you know, let's cool off the heat a little bit. Is he a possible RB one? Sure, of course he could be, but uh, you know, he's going there could be some rough games uh, coming up here too. We have James White, Dalvin Cook ranked ahead of Marlon Mack on our seasonal rankings because schedule that's the reason if you had a easier schedule coming up it'd be a completely different story strength of schedule matters more for running backs than any other position it matters very little to the other positions for running backs the strength of the opposing defense particularly against the run really does matter with satellite backs not as much so with duke johnson you'd almost prefer the browns face a stout run defense because then yes. duke johnson might get more usage is duke johnson's post hugh jackson breakout sustainable I think so. You look at you look at the, what I don't know how the same coaching staff could use him so well. Uh, you know, the first two or three years that, that that he played, they they knew where to employ him. They knew to get him out there in the backfield. Uh, he averaged sixty three receptions a, a season. Uh, he's not getting any carries, uh, it, it, you know, at all this season. And seeing Freddie Kitchen's first game is the play caller. Very optimistic is what Duke Johnson uh, reckoned nine targets. I mean, almost his entire season's total uh, came all in one game. So um, that that's optimistic. And then you look at, at Cleveland's offensive situation, they're obviously not going to be, uh, you know, a great offense here with a rookie quarterback and a, and a very, very suspect receiving core. So, I think Johnson, for the people that, that didn't cut bait with him or that um, are able to pick him up off waivers after he's been cut in, in so many leagues, uh, very, very uh, good possibility here that, that he kind of resembles the same type of player that he was in the last three years. So uh, I think he can be very, very uh, relevant as a RB3 or a flex option in PPR leagues down the stretch here. What about Leonard Fournette? Will he be heard from again this season? Well, you know, he's going to come in. He's going to take the, the majority of carries, I think, for Jacksonville. But it just got to be a more crowded backfield with Carlos Hyde there now. Um, you have to be concerned, uh, you know, about... Why'd they pick up Carlos Hyde? Why? I, they already had him on the roster, kind of, with Fournette, didn't they? Just He just wasn't healthy. And then, then they didn't even use him. It's not like they needed him. They had T.J. Yeldon. It's not like T.J. Yeldon is substantively worse than Carlos Hyde. I don't know, Matt. You know what's better than one Leonard Fournette? It's two. What are these teams doing? But you look at Fournette. Like I said, he's only he's topped four yards per carry like once since week six last year. So and not including the playoffs where he actually was pretty good. But the state of the Jacksonville passing game, oh man! I mean, that makes you really, really nervous for how often teams are just going to continue to stack the line to slow down. Fournette or Fournette Jr. in the, in the likes of, of uh, Carlos Hyde. So, you know, it, it's really it's really a concern. And you have T.J. Yeldon, who I think they're going to continue to use more in the passing game, much more than they're going to Fournette. So, to me, that makes Fournette, uh, you know, kind of a, a low-volume, touchdown-dependent guy down the stretch here. So, you know, he's – I mean, I understand that where he got drafted by most people, shoot, late first round – 
early to mid second round. Uh, you know, you've held on to him, so you're looking forward to it, which I get. You know, I understand how if you, you know you felt him for this many weeks, you're not going to cut bait at this point now because his value is so low. But uh, I don't know that he's going to be an instant RB one or RB two plugged into the lineup. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know I think from a week to week basis, he might be the same inconsistent player that, that he that he's been uh, for the most of this season and, and late last year. He could look a lot like Derrick Henry. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> right? I mean, these were similar players in the SEC, and it may turn out that they're both busts at the NFL level. I'd much rather have Dalvin Cook. When you look at these. First, second round bust running backs in fantasy football coming back from these lower body injuries. I think Dalvin Cook has a chance to be an RB1 the rest of the season. Not so with Leonard Fournette. Certainly not so with Derrick Henry. Is Derrick Henry as bad as Deion Lewis is good? I, I think Derrick Henry, uh, he's bad. Like I said, he's somebody that I've never liked. I've called him a, a worse Brandon Jacobs. And, and that's not a compliment because you're looking at guys that they look awesome back there. They look like defensive ends. Like, I can't believe this guy's a running back. But... I mean, I don't want to bash too much on Derrick Henry. He seems like a really, really nice guy, and I understand the appeal for it. But I got a lot of grief on Twitter when I was telling people, okay. <laughs> Maybe he's too tall, man. Deion Lewis is very compact. He's 5'8". He can zip in and out of situations, go under offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You saw him last night. You saw him against the Cowboys. He looked great again. All he does is go out there and look great when he has the football in his hands. So I think just feed Deion Lewis the rest of the way. He needs to be in the conversation for the best satellite back after Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey in the NFL. Sure, I don't disagree. I love I loved uh, Deion Lewis. He's that's what got a lot of the conversation going to, this summer in. Uh, you know, on Twitter, when I would tell people that, you know, you're making a mistake if you're taking Derrick Henry over in the third round or fourth round, if you're taking him over Deion Lewis, you're you're doing this wrong. Um, people did that? And I got a lot of grief, oh uh, you know, God. about it. At one point, somebody took Derrick Henry like 25th overall or 30th overall, whatever. I said, 25th overall? I don't even have him as a top five running back. And people were, were uh, quote tweeting me and trying to uh, attach it to old takes exposed. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll sit back and see. And, it, and we've seen it this year. His ADP was 41 in high stakes leagues. That's high, man. I didn't think he was going up in the top 45, but that's where he was going. And that probably went down a little bit. Cause like I said, at one oh. point I heard that he went 25th overall. He's been 30th in evading tackles, 3.6 yards per touch. That's 59th among running backs. And of course, as uh, it says here on player profiler, zero breakaway run. So basically you're getting, you're getting an old school goal line running back for an offense that hasn't been putting up very many touchdowns. Let me ask you this. If you're going to draft a committee back, why wouldn't you draft Tevin Coleman at slot 60? 20 slots later, you can get a more explosive running back on a better offense in Tevin Coleman. Didn't make any sense. But who is Tevin Coleman? He's a real enigma of a running back, isn't he? Oh, yeah, because you see those those flashes. You know, you see... Um basically as a, in a change of pace duty, he would come in uh, after Devontae Freeman and then you would see him just turn around a corner and bust off these 20 yard runs and all that. Like, Man, this guy's freaking good. Uh, generally though, he's been better as a, as a one B to than he has as the one a, but 
the thing is, it's good for, for Coleman this season. He's starting to kind of look a little bit uh, better in the past couple of games as they've kind of maybe started to figure out the rotation, a way to use him and Ito Smith a, a little bit more optimistically. Seven targets last week. Seven targets. There we go. Starting to trend in the right direction. And, you know, obviously he is going to be motivated to do everything he can because he's at this point primed to be the the top uh, free agent running back. Uh, so for those of you listening that are interested in a dynasty standpoint, I'm sure everyone knows that already. But Going to look very good in a Philadelphia Eagles uniform next year, Mr. Tevin Coleman. And then it frees up Ito Smith, right? Even though Ito Smith is smaller, he may be better equipped to handle a bigger workload in the long run than Tevin Coleman. Do you agree? Yeah, and we know what's interesting is what Ito Smith, despite size, they've let him uh, take most of the goal on carries, kind of like Devontae Freeman. Freeman's definitely not the biggest guy, but they seem to trust him more in that area. So that could be a, an interesting situation next year, where obviously the Falcons are going to be locked into Freeman as their starter and most likely Coleman's walking. So it's going to set up some interesting uh scenarios for who's going to get most of those goal line looks with 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 ito smith but that's another guy dynasty standpoint definitely someone you want to be looking at i think that dynasty buy window closed with a slam door last weekend but it was open there there was a way to get tevin coleman and dynasty in a pretty straightforward fashion talked about him going to philadelphia is there a back to own in philadelphia or just ignore it well, I guess if you wanted to own one, you'd want to go with Smallwood. But, you know, he's starting to, to kind of turn in the wrong direction. Just looking at snap rates, he went from uh, after after Ajay went down, he went from 62 to 56 and then down to 50 this week. The touches, same thing. You saw 19 and then 11 and then 10. He's not good, Jody. Well, no, he's everything for Philadelphia seems to be trending in the wrong direction. You got Smallwood and Clement in the last three weeks after Jolly left. They're trending bad, and you have Josh Adams kind of trending up. But let's throw a monkey wrench into the system. Let's throw Darren Sproles back into the mix because here he is back on the practice field, and he's expected to play this week. So now you've got, hey, then you've got four smallish pass catching type running backs that are going to come in the eagles are 18th in rushing i know they were third or fourth last year but obviously it's not going to work for them on the ground this year so they're going to have to just keep relying on the pass if they're going to be successful trying to defend their crown so when we talk about their running game it just makes me want more jeffrey Ertz, and tate <laughs> The running backs, that's all they're going to do is they're going to be glorified uh, satellite backs. You've been talking about satellite backs a lot. Uh, and so, and that's basically what they have on their roster, just four satellite backs. Rather than giving one uh, 35, 40 snaps a game, they know they're going to be in a situation where they're giving four guys like 10 to 15 snaps, and it's just probably best to avoid the whole situation altogether. You like Cordero Patterson as a satellite back? Not cool. Not particularly. I mean, leave it up to Bill Belichick to figure out. Well, this guy's, uh, you know, not really all that good uh, as a receiver. If he can uh, occasionally bust out, uh, you know, a, a deep touchdown, I think he's got three of those this year. But he is pretty good when the ball's in his hands. So let's uh, let's figure out what to do. I mean, you just gotta love Belichick sometimes. But 
It makes sense if you're going to spread it out. If you're going to go four wide, he has room to operate back there. If you're going to run a traditional running game with a fullback, then no, Cordero Patterson's useless. But in a spread attack, it makes sense, actually. It does. It'll be kind of like a Ty Montgomery thing when they first started transitioning Montgomery to running back. It was really successful at first on a limited basis. People were like, wow, this is crazy. You got number 88 back there uh, running the ball. This, this is kind of neat. But given time, defenses are going to adjust. They're going to start to find tendencies and find a way to slow it down. And we've probably seen uh, Patterson ceiling. Uh, here as a running back with, with two, 10 carries, 5.5 yard per, per carry and a touchdown in the last couple of weeks. Because Tony Michelle is probably coming back this week. And believe it or not, we're about three weeks away from Rex Burkhead possibly uh, yes. returning. So at that point, uh, at that point, there won't be anything. Don't spend all your fab money on Cordero Patterson. Please don't do that. Although he may outproduce Lamar Miller the rest of the way. Is Lamar Miller just over? I mean, you're in Houston. You have to know this, right? Do people in Houston know it's over for Lamar Miller? Or is it just fantasy gamers that know it at this point? Uh, I think it just hasn't been a great signing for, for the club. For, they were just so desperate to instill t- uh, an offensive infusion of this team. And he's been pretty me- mediocre most of his time here. But, uh, yeah, after two really, really solid games he got out snapped by by alfred blue last week and here we have deontay foreman uh starting to get inch closer he's starting to get on the practice field the texans are on a bye so foreman's got another whole week to recover to get back into the grind and all that so uh yeah it probably is over from lamar miller i think he'll develop back into what we saw in the second half of last season which is going to be more of uh, a guy who's going to get 10 to 12 touches the game and just be okay versus what he has been most of this year, which is the guy getting 12 to 18 touches. Uh, and if they're serious about keeping Alfred blue, which I, mean, I don't know why the guy, you know, you're my boy blue, but I don't know why they keep giving him so many touches, but you know, when, when they are, it, it's, it's gotta be disconcerting because like I said, Alfred blue, I don't know how many rosters he would even make much less uh, being on a legitimate six and three team uh, taking away carries from your main running back. So kind of a head scratcher, but uh, yeah, Lamar Miller would have been a really, really good uh, sell high candidate after, uh, after last week. I would not go out and trade for Dante Foreman just because Lamar Miller's face planning and the other competition is the definition of replacement level Alfred Blue because I think that this is the team that's going to go out and draft a running back early. It's just that's who they are. This is not a well-run franchise. This is not a franchise with exceptional player personnel strategy in the front office. So this is the team that's going to go out and draft a David Montgomery at some point in the second round. I can just see, uh, you know, you could you could write that down. And if it happens, we'll celebrate it. If it doesn't happen, don't bring it up to me. I don't take L's. I'm not even taking an L on Rashad Penny because I had Rashad Penny on my Mount Rushmore of rookie running backs this season. And if we redrafted the 2018 NFL draft, did the selections over again, where would he go? Oh, he probably would still go in the, I don't know, second round. I mean, he was a you think really, 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 really talented runner. But I don't know if it's more so something he's not doing or if it's just crazy coaching, because we've seen this kind of behavior in the past out of Seattle. So I, I really don't know what the problem is. Maybe he would drop into the third round, second round. Definitely wouldn't go in the first round. You can't get ahead of Mike Davis and Chris Carson. You can't get ahead of them. That's it's a concern, but he was just so good at San Diego State. I mean, he's your boy, right? 
I like him. I've always liked him. I like size-adjusted athleticism. Give me that speed score with over 2,000 rushing yards. I mean, wow. How is he not playing and playing well? I just don't understand it. Give us one running back that you have to get in your lineup this week. Flex him, whatever. Get him in your lineup. Oh, for this week? Because mine's Aaron Jones. I love Aaron Jones this week. I think it sets up perfectly for Aaron Jones. He hasn't broken out fully yet, but the opportunity share continues to rise week by week. Now he gets one of the softest run defenses in the league, the Miami Dolphins. This is the week. This is the breakout week for Aaron Jones. You have to get him in your lineup, even if you technically have a better option at flex. According to the projections, I think you play Aaron Jones regardless because he has a very high ceiling. I'm going to have to defer to, to you on that one. You're not worried about the uh, you're not worried about the fumble. I think that in the moment, coaches are emotional and they take out their better player and they hurt their chances of winning. I think they have meetings, they talk about it, and they move on. They put it past them. I do not think it's going to be an issue. I think that when you go back and you look at the film, you look at the stats, however they evaluate. Their self-scouting has never been a strength, Jeff Janis. But I think when they go back and they do their self-scouting, they're going to realize again for the 24th consecutive week that Aaron Jones is their best running back, gives them the best chance to win. He's at home with one of the best possible matchups. I think you have to play him. You just you got to play him and cancel out the noise, cancel out the fumbles. And we couldn't go a podcast without mentioning JF Janis. And that's another one we, we hit on earlier. I got to take the L on Jamal Williams because I really bought into him. It's a guy I missed on. Yeah, he's not good at all. Uh, I missed on it. I looked at the way, you know, uh, when Jones missed a couple of games late last year and he came back, they still kept giving Jamal Williams like this. uh... We're all susceptible to this. I've talked to fantasy gamers about this on multiple occasions. Even the best rankers and projectors, we are susceptible to chasing the opportunity, chasing players who will be starters on prolific offenses. We just can't get off those players. Even if we know that their talent level isn't spectacular, we look at the situation and we push the button anyway. We're all susceptible to this, Jody. And don't get me wrong, I loved uh, Aaron Jones coming out of college. And he's a rookie that I've gotten a lot of leagues, but I really, you know, the more I research in the offseason, I realize, you know, Mike McCarthy, he seemed really like Jamal Williams uh, in his second half last year. Even when Jones was healthy, he, yeah. he barely saw the field, barely touched the ball. So I guess. I guess Williams is going to be their featured guy, even though I think Jones overall definitely has more upside and is the better talent. And Yeah, I got that one. I got to take the L on that one. I talked to Sean Siegel about this. It's a fascinating thing that in expert leagues, experts actually defer more to opportunity share than ability. In a less sophisticated league, the players are more apt to draft the better players and not chase the touches and targets. And oftentimes, it does the expert a disservice to be so heavily weighted on the touches and targets on the opportunity side of the ledger. And you saw this with Tyler Boyd, because when Tyler Boyd broke out, it took weeks and weeks for the fantasy community to internalize it. But when you zoomed out and you looked at, okay, what's Tyler Boyd's talent profile? Oh, he has a 90th percentile dominator rating and a 90th percentile breakout age at Pitt. So when he was at Pitt, he was winning in all phases. He was even a special teams ace 
And all those things are indicators, like with Cooper Cup, for example, that a player without exceptional athleticism can be very productive at the NFL level. Then you start seeing him get starter snaps, so he's got the opportunity, and when opportunity meets ability, that's when breakouts happen. Sure enough, boom. Now, no A.J. Green. Can Tyler Boyd finish this year as a top 10 fantasy receiver? Oh, sure he can. He's, where is he right now? He's like a wide receiver 14, something like that. Uh, yeah, he's in the mid-teens right now. There's a lot of good receivers, though. One of them happens to be A.J. Green, so you move A.J. Green out of there, and you're not buying Keenan Allen, so you can pretty easily... It, it, you know, what's the difference between Keenan Allen and Tyler Boyd? There's not a big difference, but it's only now in Week 10 that finally the perception is changing about Tyler Boyd. Oh, yeah, he might be Keenan Allen in a good way. Yeah, he's look at the, the amount of targets that, that Andy Dalton's been throwing his way. And, you know, what are you going to bring back John Ross on the other side now? He's gonna, those targets are just going to keep going up. And look at the schedule for, uh, you know, Bengals here down the street. They still got the Saints, Browns, Chargers, Raiders. Great matchups for the passing game. Still on the schedule ahead for Tyler Boyd. So uh, if you were lucky enough to have picked him up off waivers, because let's face it, most people didn't draft him. But Or if you already had him on your team, keep plugging him out there. There's a really, really good chance, I think, that uh, he's going to move past Green if he misses at least two games. But, yeah, there, there's there's certainly a solid chance that he can get up into the wide receiver top, top 10, top 12. I, mean, I think A.J. Green may miss the season. There's a very good chance A.J. Green has a lost season. And if that happens, I think Tyler Boyd's a top 12 fantasy wide receiver the rest of the way. And it's he and Keenan Allen neck and neck. And right now he has a lead. He has a pretty big lead on Keenan Allen. I think he can surpass Juju Smith-Schuster. Who's the best receiver on the Rams? Well, they're they're in a fortunate position where you might have three three receivers here that, that wind up at wide receiver one, wide receiver two range in this offense, not to mention absolutely the best running back in football. but Best running back of all time. Well, it's hard to argue with that and what we've seen the last two years. If we're willing to say Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback of all time, even though Tom Brady has the best resume, why can't we say Todd Gurley is definitively the best running back of all time, even though someone like LaDainian Tomlinson or Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders has a better resume? Uh, probably sample size. Gurley's in what year three, year four. He's uh, he's still relatively young and, and new to the game, whereas those other guys have long been retired and played fifteen plus years. But from a you know, it's also hard to compare errors. You know, these running backs and today, you know, it's that's just a really interesting thing. For- I'm saying it, Jody. You heard it here first. I want to be first. I don't feel like tempering expectations. It doesn't help me. What helps me is saying it first. So I'm going to say it first right now on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Todd Gurley, best running back of all time. Say, I just said it. I just said it. Well, it's on the record. It's now on the record. And what are they going to do to me? It's not even that much of a hot take, man. It's not even that hot. (laughs) No one can do anything about it. You can't do anything to stop me from saying it. There's no way to punish me if I'm wrong. I'm just going to go out and say it to say it, and everyone has to eat it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, back to the Rams receivers. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Brandon Cooks fan. I've always liked him. I've always felt like he's been underrated. But if I had to choose who's the best receiver of the three between Cooks, Woods, and Cooper Cup, I'm going to lean Cooper Cup because uh, when you're looking at the three of them, they're, 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 they all look good at certain times. Uh, Cup has a slight advantage in, in points per, run, per route run and 
Uh, my go-to stat when I got guys that are really close is to look at who's got the better image on playerprofiler.com. And by far, it's Cooper Cup, so I'm going to give him the nod here. The white angel of death. And Cooper <laughs> Cup has been more productive in his first two years, certainly than Robert Woods in Buffalo and Brandon Cooks. I mean, it's, it's Cooper Cup. I can't believe I'm saying it. It's crazy. He offers a, a, a lot more touchdown up, upside than, than the other two backs here. So, uh, you know, obviously when, when you're racking in those six points at a time versus the 1.5 here, uh, the shorter passes, uh, you know, that, that definitely can be a tiebreaker. I think Cooper Cup is going to have a better first two seasons in the NFL than Amari Cooper, than Sammy Watkins. Has the bar been lowered so much now with Amari Cooper now that he's in one of these anemic offenses? He's on a low-volume offense now, so expectations have been lowered over the last year and a half. Can you actually buy Amari Cooper in Dynasty at this point? Is that a smart idea? Uh, I find it still really uh, difficult, Matt, to target Amari Cooper. Uh, It might be because the majority of the leagues that I'm in are industry-wide leagues, but my opinion is that the fantasy football community still overvalues Amari Cooper, even though I am one of those people. I like him as a talent. I thought his route running looked fantastic in his first game with Dallas. But I think you said the word anemic offense, and that's exactly what you have here. It's hard to want to invest too much into a guy that's playing for an offense that's engineered by Scott Linehan and for a franchise that's being developed managed and and run by jerry jones um cooper's still 24 there's still plenty of room to grow but like i said um he's somebody that i think is still uh very very difficult it's it's hard sometimes uh josh gordon's a great example it's hard for people to let go of early success that these wide receivers have and when they start struggling you're struggling in years two three four whatever people keep assuming that it's you know, that rookie success is going to come back. And you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't. Michael Clayton. Yeah. Didn't that guy come out like thousand yards, eight touchdowns or whatever as a yeah. rookie. And then, and then was selling insurance three years later, something like that. Yeah. He was making fart sounds somewhere. <laughs> when I was listening to your analysis of Amari Cooper, it was a carbon copy of what I heard about Sammy Watkins two years ago. Are Sammy Watkins and Amari Cooper the same guy? Ooh, wow. I've never thought about the comparison because they're just physically so much different. But I don't know, man. Watkins. I'm not sure they're physically different. They they look physically the same. Their metrics are very similar on player profiler, for example. I don't know. Watkins has had a little bit more success, I think, uh, you know, as a scorer and um, hasn't struggled with, with drops so much. But, you know, when you look at, at, uh, at Watkins this year, he's just been okay, I think. Uh, as a guy who's he started to you know come on here as, as teams are starting to account for what Tyreek Hill was doing in the first four to six weeks of the season uh, you know Watkins has seen an increase in targets he's starting to look a little bit better but for for me for Watkins to become a more consistent wide receiver two or three he's got to play more of a role in the in, in the red zone I don't get it because that's something he actually was pretty good at early on in his career but he's only scored three out of Pat Mahomes 29 touchdown passes this year so that's a just a huge concern for me so I don't know man I'm just not that high I, Sammy Watkins even though I think he can be a decent wide receiver three or wide receiver four it's just not someone I, you know the highs and the lows are it's, it's a little erratic for me Sammy Watkins is a record-setting wide receiver. He holds the record for most excuses made by fantasy gamers. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, he has 
has to. And I realized that Amari Cooper and Sammy Watkins were the Spider-Man meme. Oh, wow. When I looked at Sammy Watkins' game log this season, because we now have the cornerback he matched up with most frequently in that game in the game log. And it was strikingly similar to an Amari Cooper game log where Sammy Watkins faces Casey Hayward and he gets erased. He faces Chris Harris. He gets erased. He faces Stephon Gilmore. He gets erased. He faces Bradley Roby. He faces Jimmy Ward. He faces Artie Burns. He scores more than 15 fantasy points because that's what Sammy Watkins does. He produces against lesser cornerbacks. That's what Amari Cooper does. That's why starting and sitting Amari Cooper is very straightforward. Is he matched up with an elite corner? If so, get him as far away from your starting lineup as possible. Same is true for Sammy Watkins. Do you know who Sammy Watkins is going to be facing this week? Patrick Peterson. (laughs) Who blots out light from the sun. So if you're thinking about starting Sammy Watkins, think twice. I wouldn't say start Curtis Samuel over Sammy Watkins. You want to start players that are full-time starters, but it's a conversation. With Curtis Samuel, did he fly right by DJ Moore on that Carolina Panthers depth chart when you were tracking the targets? Oh, no. Uh, DJ Moore's got 99 snaps over the last couple of uh, weeks. Or Samuel has 33. Uh, just uh, those those two touchdowns obviously pop right off the, the stat sheet, but he only had three touches, and it was against a terrible Tampa Bay defense. So um, let's not let's not overreact to it. DJ Moore has seems to be firmly entrenched over the last month, and as their as their second receiver, and you know both of them are going to take a ta- uh, back seat to Devin Funches and you know Greg Olson and the and the running backs. So wait, can you say that again? Rewind. What are DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel going to do to Devin Funches? They're going to take a what? They're going to take a back seat. I wanted you on the record because we support Devin Funches on this program, the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. And there's an active investigation going on by the Roto Underworld investigative staff to try to understand why no one respects Devin Funches. We haven't been able to figure it out, but we are looking for any clues And certainly it's noteworthy whenever a fantasy analyst comes on this program and makes a positive statement on the record about Devin Funchess, that's news. I also have breaking news. The New Orleans Saints have come to terms with one Des Bryant. Oh boy. Des Bryant is a saint. What are your thoughts, Jody Smith? Uh, I think it's going to be mass mass hysteria. Uh, you know, Devin Bryant, Des Bryant. He's he's one of those guys that I keep have talked about where they did something you know may, maybe in the past or a long time ago, and and were really good at it, and and people just had trouble letting it go. So they automatically, I think, people are going to assume that Des Bryant, who's who's had next to no attention from teams, here we are into week ten, nine weeks. He's had a couple of uh, workouts, or he's had a couple of teams that made mild interest in him yet we still got some terrible wide receivers being employed in so many lineups that should tell you something he he hasn't been very good for uh you know several seasons here he's got the frame to still be 
a solid red zone option, I guess, but he just can't separate from the ball anymore. They need a slot receiver in New Orleans. They got nothing from Cameron Meredith. They're getting nothing from Austin Carr. I think they can get a lot more from Des Bryant. Let me float a theory at you. Des Bryant still has a lot more left than a Brandon Marshall, for example. But when he has visited Cleveland, he demands a contract they're not willing to pay. And he's sitting at home tweeting very nonchalantly uh, communicating with his fans on Twitter, don't worry, I'll be back soon, don't worry, all part of the plan, don't worry, don't worry, I got this, I got this, reclining on his couch. I think that there might have been a larger plan here at work with Des Bryant, meeting with teams, but wanting to pick his spot. And I think when he finally found a spot where he thinks he can thrive, where he can finally find that Tony Romo-level talent at quarterback to get him the ball in tight windows, I think that that's when his contract demands finally came down. Well, um, you can't, you couldn't hardly ask for a better landing spot. It's phenomenal offense. We just got to hope that, uh, you know, he's not taking red zone targets away from from our guy, uh, Alvin Kamara, which I seriously doubt they're going to do, but... I don't know. Do you think Dez is capable of being that uh, that big slot guy? Yes, I'm hopeful, man. I'm hopeful. I agree that you shouldn't chase old receivers, that the Larry Fitzgeralds are extreme outliers, but he's only 30 years old and he's healthy. There's a way to rationalize away his inefficiency the last couple of years with the lower body injuries. I can pretty easily create a narrative for Des Bryant being a wide receiver three in fantasy football, pretty comfortably in that particular offense. If you were on the Browns, no way. But in New Orleans, I think so. I think there's reason to be hopeful. I also just traded away last night, Traquan Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That felt good. I also included Marquez Valdez-Scantling to get the deal done. Because I wanted to get Julio Jones and Dynasty put together some players and draft picks to get Julio Jones. Sell me on Marquez-Scantling in cash games this week. Does he now have a high floor, or are we chasing? I don't know about the floor, because, uh, you know, he only had three catches uh, in this past game, and I think he had none at halftime, so that that's a little bit of a disconcert. But from a usage standpoint... So when you were looking at the targets, when you were looking at the targets, are these high degree of difficulty targets that he's catching? Because it seems whenever I look at the box score, he's got one for 50. Right, that's what you saw last week. He he topped 100 yards on, on three catches, and... Uh, from a usage standpoint, he's he's been out there plenty. He played uh he's played eighty one point three percent of the snaps uh you know since week four, but but just f- focused on 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 week ten alone. Uh, one thing I would throw out there why I would like MVS this week. Uh, Devontae Adams is going to probably be shadowed by Xavier Howard uh, from Miami. So what you're going to see is uh, Valdez Scantling is going to see coverage from uh, Tory McTire who ranks 101st of the pro football focus uh, cornerback grade. So you kind of got to like that matchup a little bit here. And, you know, the Green Bay scuffling a little bit. They, they've they got to get their, their their shit together here if they uh, are going to uh, stay contenders uh, for the, the playoffs here. So I expect, uh, I expect a lot of passes, and, and I, I like the usage there. I don't know that the floor – like I said, when you go an entire half without without being a target and you near halftime with, with zeros and a scoreboard, that's a little bit of a, uh, disconcerting. But Pro Football Focus is being generous with Tory McTire. 
He's ranked 146 on playerprofiler.com with a negative 54.6 coverage rating, which is as low as any qualified corner in the league. That that sounds like a, you know, a pretty good matchup. Uh, he is a human English muffin. <laughs> it's, a, it's interesting that he's got tire uh, in his name because that's what he's played like, huh? Yes, a very close tire. Easy to throw the ball through. Maurice Harris. Is it the Maurice Harris era in Washington? Well, it's hard to say. Let's you know, let's not overreact to uh, you know one game where where he caught ten passes. It's a lot of passes, though. Yeah, but when you look at the the previous month, he was at three three receptions or less uh, pretty much every game here. Uh, what I want to see is what's going to happen. I'm guessing here when. Uh, Jamison Crowder gets back in. I'm guessing he's going to slide back into the slot, which we saw previously this year. Um, and I'm guessing that Harris is going to move outside. So I don't know that he'll be able to uh, create separation from that area of the field versus different cornerbacks. And, and at that point, we all know that Alex Smith loves to um, throw to open receivers. So I mean, he's okay. Like I said, he's so cheap. Uh, at least he was prior to uh, his out, out outburst last week. Uh, he's definitely somebody that, that has some – PPR appeal, somebody that's definitely worth a, a slight bid in free agency to add. But uh, this Washington offense, uh, I'm very surprised that this team was in, is in first place in the NFC East. They haven't looked very good all season without Alex Smith. So it doesn't inspire you know a ton of confidence that, that uh, to me, he's going to be a very viable option moving forward. Jamison Crowder has missed four games with a high ankle sprain. These severe high ankle sprains often derail entire seasons. So I'm not tempering expectations around Maurice Harris because Jamison Crowder will return. My expectations are tempered because he's not very good. When you go to his profile on playerprofiler.com, he's not checking any boxes. But he is a guy that's there. And when the other guy that's currently healthy and there is Josh Doxson, and when you watch Josh Doxson play, what do you think? Josh Doxson is like some of the other guys that, that we've talked about here in the last few minutes. Uh, very, you know... When you see him physically, you're like, man, this guy's put together really well. This guy should be a stud outside receiver and a, and a big time red zone threat. But it just never seems to, uh, you know, play out that way. And it hasn't for long enough now with different quarterbacks that you have to think, okay, uh, this is something. This is another one that we uh, in the fantasy football community must have missed on because it's just not happening. He's the next Devonte Parker. Talk about Spider-Man memes. Doxon Parker, Spider-Man meme. Talk about guys that the fantasy football community's missed on. They're the same guy. You could <laughs> switch jerseys. You wouldn't be able to tell them apart. They're big, athletic, outside wide receivers that can't squeeze the football. Tell me there's a difference. You can't. You can't. There's no difference. I would argue there is a huge difference between those guys and Corey Davis. I think Corey Davis is the best by-low target in all formats right now in fantasy football. Do you agree? Uh, he's he's one of them. Uh, what you like about Corey, Corey Davis is that he's been getting these these uh, wide receiver target shares like all season, even though it's been mostly down versus up for the Titans. We hit on that earlier when we talked about our guy, Mariota. They're starting to kind of, in the last couple of weeks, it's, a, it's been a little bit better. They're starting to trend in the right direction and the schedule it's a little bit better i, I think uh, coming up for the titans uh, they got a couple of they got a couple of bad matchups against the texans which you know the texans are okay against the pass they got the jaguars and the giants later on the schedule but they get the colts they get patriots they get jets uh there's some there's some appealing matchups here my biggest concern 
with Davis is that you know we're almost a full two 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 years into his career. It's it's the one the one touchdown reception here in the regular season. He had that breakout game against the Patriots. Uh, I think he scored two touchdowns, something like that. But uh, that's that's a major concern for me. But physically, um, I really really like him. Uh, you you look at his numbers from a casual standpoint uh, from a casual fantasy football person they don't look overwhelming so yeah he could be somebody that definitely uh, is a wide receiver one that most people would think ah this guy's like a wide receiver three four so um, i'm not, i'm just gonna bench him so yeah definitely somebody worth targeting the problem is stefan gilmore will be shadowing him this week so you don't love stefan gilmore shadowing Corey davis but he's gonna get targets 30 percent target shares number three in the nfl his hog rate targets per snap, 18.1. That's number seven in the league. His red zone target share is over 35%, but there's no touchdowns. That's just variance. That's random chance, random events and outcomes preventing Corey Davis from scoring a touchdown. He's the Julio Jones of touchdown non-scoring, and that makes him in a tremendous buy low, just like Marcus Mariota. It's too bad you didn't get Marcus Mariota last week in Dynasty. Last week was the time to get Marcus Mariota in Dynasty. He was the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. He still may be, but because he performed well and won the game against the Cowboys for all to see, his value has corrected somewhat, especially in Dynasty, but I still think he's a buy across the board. If Stephon Gilmore at least partially erases Corey Davis, any chance that Tajay Sharp or Janu Smith become a thing this week? Um, Maybe. Look at the matchup. Uh, they really struggled against the pass, so you know it's right there for them, but it's hard to really want to rely on them as anything more than... You know, desperation flex plays just because we just don't see a track record. The the promising thing for uh, Tajay Sharp is when you look at uh, Snapshare last week, he ran uh, 79% of, of the Titans' snaps versus Taewon Taylor, who was down at 26%. So we may finally uh, have seen a point where they've just given up on, you know, on even considering uh, Taylor and, and Sharp is definitely – uh, since we saw him in, in London when he just kind of broke out, he definitely seems like he's for sure been – the, you know, the number two guy there. So from a matchup standpoint, uh, it looks promising. Tajay Sharp, 3,600 on DraftKings this week. If you need an inexpensive flyer wide receiver to make a lineup happen, he gets to 11 fantasy points. He's giving you 3X. He just needs to get to 11 fantasy points, and he should get the snaps and targets to get there. Yeah, you can't argue with that. Uh, excellent. Uh, 3600 Wow, it's a lot cheaper than I would have figured he would be. You're getting the cheapest routes for the dollar this week on DraftKings is Tajay Sharp because they're facing the New England Patriots and they will have to throw the ball to win. Brashad Perriman is the stone men this week. What did you think of those Brashad Perriman targets you watched this weekend? Uh, is there a pulse there? Should we keep the machines hooked up to Brashad Perriman? What kind of... I mean, what... It just makes you wonder, like, what kind of franchise is still giving this guy uh, <laughs> targets? I guess when it has, you know, only Antonio Callaway and Richard Higgins uh, outside of, of, of Jarvis Landry. But, uh, you know, the recipe for continuing to feature Brashad per Perryman, it, you know, that's a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. The guy has just proven for several seasons now that he just can't catch. He's just not an NFL talent. So uh, it's hard to let it go, you know, but throughout history you hit on one earlier really really good with clayton it's not that unusual to see just wide wide busts uh, for first round picks in brashad perryman it can be a lot of 
really hard for people to let it go. But I think once you get three seasons in and you've seen such little production and, and uh, yeah, it's time to let it go. And no, I just have, I have no interest. Yeah. Six targets, only two catches for Brashad Perriman. That's the problem. He can't squeeze the football. So what if he's getting targets and, and he needs to actually convert the reception. It's not enough to chase the targets. And again, the coaches have seen the tape. They have access to the box score on the World Wide Web. They know Brashad Perriman's not efficient. So that might have been a one-and-done week for Brashad Perriman getting any kind of target share whatsoever. Here's one where talent or lack of talent uh, trumps uh, opportunity for sure. Damian Ratley was actually more efficient. No reason for Brashad Perriman to usurp Damian Ratley. Now, I don't want to talk about bad players. Let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. Is he regression-proof? Well, it's starting to look like it. Even when you look at, at, at who Kansas City played, nobody slowed him down. Eight straight games with 300-plus with yards. What, what's he on pace for, Matt? Like 5,000 yards and 50-something touchdowns? I think he's on pace for about 9,000 passing yards and 76 touchdowns, I believe. Oh, yeah. So you obviously see he's going to slow down a little bit, but not necessarily regress. <laughs> but, I mean, what can you do? He's like the... It's such a perfect fit with, with his gunslinger Brett Favre type of, of attitude with, with the aggression, with, you know, Andy Reid's play calling, and it's hard to say. I mean, you get, you know, a, almost a perfect fit at running back there. It's just been the perfect storm. And, uh, you know, imagine if they had a number a number two receiver besides your guy, uh, Sammy Watkins, that was— uh, They do! They do! If they would just put Chris Conley out there— <laughs> on an island, and move Sammy Watkins inside, they would be even more successful because I think that Chris Conley is as good of a fit with Patrick Mahomes' skill set as Tyreek Hill. That's why Patrick Mahomes is unregressible, is his supporting cast won't allow it. It's too good. The situation is just too good. But George Kittle is on the other end of that spectrum, right? George Kittle has Nick Mullins at quarterback. So it's much easier to see George Kittle regressing in the second half, right? I keep missing on George Kittle. Uh, when I look back at uh, last season, uh, when Kittle had uh, C.J. Bathard as his quarterback, it wasn't great. He had like one really, really long touchdown that was the vast majority of all his production that came from that one play. And I thought, well, these two, despite the whole, you know, we know the whole story of how they, you know, best buddies and roommates and whatnot. Oh, the rapport factor. Yes. More narrative-based analysis. The San Francisco 49ers really are a magnet for the narrative-based analysis. Yeah, they really, maybe it has to do with uh, Kyle Shanahan. I don't know. But when you look at, at Kittle, he, he just continues to be productive. And look at the quarterbacks that, that he's had to play with. You said Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins is named the starter in Week 10. You know who got some snaps last year for them? Brian Hoyer. So this guy has has been really really good despite the the garbage that that he's had at at uh, tight end so I, you know i have to be a believer now he's another guy i won't say i missed on george kittle but i was probably lower ranked on him and have stubbornly continued to uh, maybe devalue him a little bit but uh, from what he's been doing with second and third string quarterbacks here over the last two or three weeks uh you know uh, 
it's hard to see him not being considered, you know, top four, top five uh, dynasty tight end moving forward. The guy's just been really, really good. He has to be. He has to be. But he's making a living on long touchdowns. A mm-hmm. 71-yarder last week. You don't chase last week's long touchdowns. That's not how you win in fantasy football. You need to be able to compartmentalize these explosive weeks, these splash plays, and go back to the target share. George Kittle, four targets from Nick Mullins. On any given week, George Kittle gets four targets from Nick Mullins. He's not going to produce a significant number of fantasy points. That said, I still think George Kittle surpassed Rob Gronkowski in Dynasty. I think that Rob Gronkowski is falling. Rob Gronkowski can't stay healthy. I very rarely use that crude descriptor. Oh, can't stay healthy. Can't stay healthy. It doesn't mean anything. What do you mean can't stay healthy? In the case of Rob Gronkowski, when you look at his injury history, trace it back seven years, he really, really, really can't stay healthy. And those injuries add up. They drain your athleticism. He does not look fluid out there. When you watch Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey, they used to be best comparable to each other. They still are on player profiler, both with the metrics and the eye test. But now the eye test tells you, oh, Travis Kelsey is this fluid superstar, and Rob Gronkowski is this Frankenstein's monster out there. Looks very stiff. And for that reason, I have George Kittle ahead of him in Dynasty. And if he gets and, and if he can and if and if he performs well this week, he'll surpass him in seasonal leagues too. Well, not to mention that Gronk is is working with a back injury. Knows, man, it's hard. To, the only thing that can come back from a back injury is a lot of time off. I mean, look what it did to uh, JJ Watt. He couldn't. He tried playing through it, and it just re-injured it, and it just got worse. They should have just sat him out, and let him recover. And not to mention, there was you know the scuttlebutt. There were some some rumors this offseason that all things weren't exactly great between Belichick and Gronk, and there were some. He was on a trade block, or he wasn't on a trade block. So all uh. You know, all negative little things that are that are starting to add up. A guy who's been a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal player, but um, certainly starting to really look like that, That uh, you know, we're on the downslope of that, t- of that plateau now. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you shouldn't be surprised when Rob Gronkowski's out of the league in a couple of years. Just don't be surprised when that happens. Andrew Luck. He has come back from a devastating shoulder injury where he tried to come back too quickly. Mm-hmm. If you're a quarterback and you hurt your throwing shoulder, you need to take time off. Right? That's the way that you get. What are you doing? Can he support two fantasy relevant tight ends? Well, absolutely. Look what look what uh, look what's happened so far this year. Uh, when the tight uh, when the Colts have run uh, twelve personnel with two tight ends, Luck has nine touchdowns and uh, one interception on those formations. So. That's a great nugget. Yeah, he's been doing it a lot. Look at the touchdowns that, that all three of uh, the Colts uh, tight ends have been running. And uh, they ran a ton of those set, sets last year. So uh, Jack Doyle, obviously, you know, he took off that time. But now that he's come back, we saw uh, he he's going to be a significant part of the role. If anything, uh, it's going to have the biggest negative impact on Eric Ebron. He dropped down, I think, his snap share uh, in the first game with, with Doyle was in the 20, 20%, something, somewhere in that range. But – Ebron's going to remain, you know, he's got seven touchdowns. He's going to remain a red zone threat at the very least. So Eric Ebron this week, only 3,500 on DraftKings, mm-hmm. and he wow. won't be facing Jalen Ramsey, and he won't be facing A.J. Boye. You got to kind of like that value there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he scored seven, seven touchdowns in, in the first, what, eight games for, for the Colts? 
Yeah, and don't forget, four years ago, Andrew Luck supported two tight end ones in fantasy football. Dwayne Allen, of all players. Dwayne Al- Dwayne fucking Allen and Kobe fucking Fleener. You may not like Eric Ebron, but he's better than those guys. Yeah, and you could see a similar situation. You just see an upgrade at both spots because Jack Dole's better than Kobe Fleener and Ebron's, you know, even if I have to begrudgingly admit it, he's significantly better than, than Dwayne Allen. Hey, another thing to be optimistic about is uh, the status of Indy's receiving core, which uh, is not great. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a, a ton of uh, of uh, 12 sets moving forward for the Colts. And, yeah, absolutely. I don't see any reason. What, what's Andrew Luck's second or third in overall fantasy points? I don't see any reason why he can't uh, support two, two viable fantasy tight ends each week. Stream Eric Ebron, stream Jack Doyle. If they're not available, stream C.J. Uzoma. Based on a lot of the conservation of targets, he has that size-adjusted athleticism we love. you got to stream C.J. Uzoma this week, right? Uh, I'm not. Uh, actually, I own a lot of him. I thought he was going to be a, a, a you know really good option uh, moving forward. But no? past couple of games are a little bit of a concern for me. 97% snap rate in both games, and he's got two total catches and uh, 13 yards. This week, playing the Saints. Now, normally that sounds pretty good. New Orleans secondary is pretty terrible, right? Well, they've actually been pretty good against tight ends. They've they've allowed the six fewest fantasy points uh, to the position all season. And uh, only one touchdown all all year has uh, went to an opposing tight end against the Saints. So Uzoma is also questionable with a shoulder injury. He didn't practice. Oh, no. This is why we have you on the program, Jody. I came into this show thinking C.J. Uzoma was a great streaming option, and as it turns out, he is not. Let's go after your boy uh, Tyler Boyd in that game. Let's just avoid him altogether. Just focus on Boyd. Don't overthink this. Focus on Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd. That's like that toy boat tongue twister. Can you say toy boat five times fast? I cannot. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to embarrass myself. You're not going to try? I'll try. Toy boat, toy boat, toy... Damn it! <laughs> toy boat, toy boat. Though, t- see, I already messed it up too. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. T- t- ah, I, I even slowed it down, and I couldn't do it. Who do you qualify for truth or status on? Oh, I've had a hard time giving up on uh, as bad as we've seen the offense in Arizona. I've had a hard time giving up completely on David Johnson, but Larry Fitzgerald's a guy who uh, I think got buried uh, in the first half of the year. He wasn't fully healthy. Uh, First game with Byron Leftwich as a play caller uh, brought a lot of optimism because Fitzgerald had easily uh, his best game of the year. So I'm a, I'm a little optimistic. I haven't given up on him yet. I own him, you know, in a lot of leagues. Uh, and everyone's written him off because, like I said, it was just an awful, uh, awful first half. And shit, if anything, he's he's been secondary to Christian Kirk uh, in Arizona most of the year. It's hard to have much confidence in uh, Josh Rosen as quarterback, but like I said, uh, we're talking about truth or status. Uh, I love him. He's just such a good player and a good dude overall. He's a guy that I've always been like, well, I can't decide between these two guys. You know what? I like Larry Fitzgerald personally, so I'm just going to make let that be my, my tiebreaker there. So, You are the first person in the history of Roto Underworld Radio to name a Hall of Famer as the player for which they qualify for truth or status on. It's the first Hall of Famer I've ever heard as the answer to that question, so congratulations to you. But that also means it was kind of a turd of an answer. So to make it up to me, I need you to go bold with this bold prediction. Maybe you had something bold. I want you to go bolder because you gave me Larry Fitzgerald as your truther candidate. 
Go bold. Boldest possible prediction, Jody. I didn't think it was that bad. Most people hate Larry Fitzgerald. I want nothing to do with him moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) I'm finding reasons to give you a hard time. I don't actually think that was a bad answer. I feel a little better now. It's the Don Rickles thing. I'm going to find something. Make it bold, Jody. How about if we look beyond fantasy and actually go to the NFL game? And the New England Patriots are going to be one and done in the playoffs this year. I'm a Patriots fan, and I'm clapping. I'm clapping as a Patriots fan because they didn't invest in the defense in the offseason. Instead of drafting Harold Landry, the replacement they needed to Chandler Jones, dumping him on the Cardinals cost them a Super Bowl. They could have rushed the passer and gotten to Nick Foles had they kept Chandler Jones. They decided not to. They paid for it. Then they opted not to draft Harold Landry, who played at BC down the road, the next Chandler Jones and instead drafted Sony Michelle, a backup college running back. And he's not better than James White. So get out of here. It's like you just said, it's a defense. They're 26th against a pass, 19th against a run. It's hard to find like an area that they've excelled at. Now, I know a lot of times the Patriots are a team that's off the big lead, and so they give up these manipulated stats to defenses because teams are you know playing balls to the wall in the second half when they're down 34 to 10 or whatever. But... But the Patriots have given up 300 passing yards to to quality a couple of the quality guys they played Andrew Luck and, and Patrick Mahomes, but also Mitch Trubisky. They gave up 290 to Derek Anderson. Uh, it's kind of a problem. But when I look at the way the AFC is shaping up, kind of right now, you have to assume the Patriots are going to be the one seed. Uh, if anything else, they end up with the same record as the Chiefs. They beat them, so they got tiebreaker. Houston's starting to kind of look like the three C because of uh, their half game up on on Pittsburgh, but also the Texans have a much easier schedule than what the Steelers do. So there you go. Possible first game in a divisional round for the Patriots against a team like the Steelers. That's a problem. Chargers. Chargers are the kind of team that seems like they wouldn't expect it, but they can travel into New England and uh, put the hurting on that kind of team. And the third team that could possibly sneak in as a wild card and be a problem for New England is the Jaguars. So we saw them uh, a couple times in a row here really, really struggle to beat that team. So to me, this this New England team, while I, I think it's bold because you have to go ahead and assume that they're going to be in the Super Bowl yet again because, you know, hell, they are every year. But to me, uh, they're they're vulnerable this year. I don't, I don't see a, the same kind of dominant offense and definitely not the same kind of talented defense that we've seen recently here so i won't be surprised at all see like i said someone's going to walk into uh gillette stadium and punk them the new england patriots are vulnerable because defense matters The New England Patriots are vulnerable because defense matters. I love that you pulled it all out, man. You said punk them. The aggressive tone you took against the Patriots at the end. That was beautiful. I love that. I can almost see a vein popping out on your forehead. So I'm going to say it first right now on the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Todd Gurley, best running back of all time. I'm just going to go out and say it to say it, and everyone has to eat it. I'm a Patriots fan, and I hate the Patriots. The worst part of it is, 
it's such a quiet stadium. They're so entitled. They, they feel entitled to touchdown passes and defensive stops. It's annoying. One of them happens to be AJ Green, so you look slow, bro. So, so, so. Trust me, dude. I got a, I got a name that's almost generally considered a girl's name, so there's no way I would choose to go by that. <laughs> I tried, I tried briefly a, a, at another job, you know, 15 years ago to go by my middle name, but it was just too weird for people to. What's your middle name? Blake. Blake's preppy, right? I got a twin sister. Her name is Tangie. Tan I've never heard of that one. No. Nah, man. Did Beto O'Rourke come to your uh, town? Uh, probably. I think he visited every town and city. I gotta say the voting process for us was relatively simple. I was, I mean, I live right down the street, but I was able to take my son yesterday and walk right in and walk, vote on everything and walked out. It was probably 20 minutes. I didn't have to wait in line, nothing. But there are people with laptops ready to write articles. They just need, give me something. They're just like, give me something to write about. Conspiracy theories sound, you know, make a lot more headlines and sound a lot more entertaining to read than just saying, hey, you know, it's a glitch. It happened. They got it fixed a little bit later and we moved on. Patrick Mahomes is unregressible. I think he's on pace for about 9,000 passing yards and 76 touchdowns, I believe. Oh, yeah. So you obviously see he's going to slow down a little bit, but not necessarily regress. You can write that down. And if it happens, we'll celebrate it. If it doesn't happen, don't bring it up to me. Uh, you know, I got in a rental car, and within two hours, I'd been through Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, which to me was crazy. It's like Delaware was like a county here. And Houston is geographically the second biggest city square mileage-wise in, in the country. So, you know, it takes on a freeway with no traffic. It would take you like an hour and a half just to get across the city of Houston. Why? Wow, what happened? Why did it become an epicenter? Houston, because uh, Houston Ship Channel was was dredged uh, in the whenever it was dredged, but it's close to Galveston used to be the main part of, of the city of Texas. But after the hurricane, I think 1906. Oh, see, this is what this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I would have thought Galveston would have like taken off. The hurricane of either 1900 or 1906 completely devastated Galveston, so everyone had to move inland while they reconstructed. Galveston, and then eventually they trudged uh, the Houston Ship Channel, which, if I'm not mistaken, Houston's the second or third biggest port when it comes to traffic uh, in in the country. Maybe somewhere on the East Coast or New Orleans has more, but the main part of the economy here is uh, industry-wide, which is all these uh, industries, factories that run up and down the Ship Channel, and and oil, which you know over the last most of the last 50 or 100 years has been. Refining is the big thing, right? Yeah that's, yeah, that's what my dad, you know, my dad worked at one of those plants for, uh, right after he got out of the, out of the Navy. Though. So he did that for 40-something years before he finally retired. So the refining makes a lot of sense to me, that all the pipelines and everything, they would all terminate there. Dallas is indifferent towards Houston. You're like, huh? Oh, yeah, that little town down there, it's cool. But Houston, we're kind of, we feel inferior to Dallas for some reason, even though it's a bigger city with more people, better economy, etc., the Cowboys, the TV show. Okay, they have a better marketing department. Dallas has the better marketing department. That's about it. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Sammy Watkins is a record-setting wide receiver. He holds the record for most excuses made by fantasy gamers. <laughs> 
they get excited, they tell their friends, they change their profile to sports writer, et cetera, whatever. And then they start seeing after a month, first off, how much competition is out there. And second off, that it's not as easy as you think. And third, you're either getting paid very little or nothing. And then they disappear. You know, you see it like every summer. You know, people get fired up, excited after the NFL draft, June, July, August, pumping out content, none of which is unique. And then by the time the regular season comes and the grind starts, they're gone. It happens every year. Small sample trap Garoppolo. So the eyes, the eyebrows, the chin, that didn't do it for you? <clears throat> Chip Kelly. <clears throat> value-based drafting, all those old terms. Oh, value-based drafting, too! Yes! I like to be flaccid. Flaccid? <laughs> flaccid? That sounds like a very flaccid draft strategy. You're right. Damn it. Two years late having you on the podcast. Own it, Jody. Own it. You killed it a couple of years ago, and you've just been parlaying that winning strategy into championships for years. Just say that. He's the Julio Jones of touchdown non-scoring. Why? Well, the coaching staff, the entire... In what world is he more deserving of snaps than Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin? Mike Evans is a better talent than Adam Humphreys. I will give you that. As overrated as Mike Evans is, I will give you that. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that at least. Every landmine you could lay out, you were going to get legs blown off drafting Jimmy Garoppolo in fantasy football in all formats. Oh, boy. You're pretty good at this whole fantasy football thing, Jody. Just say it. Say it. I'm killing fantasy football lately. Say it. Uh, I've been awesome at fantasy football ever since uh, my first pick was Randall Cunningham. So, yes. Unburden yourself from any trappings of humility. I, I know what show I'm on. What are these teams doing? Oh, boy. I, I know what show I'm on. Seven targets last week. Seven targets. There we go. Oh, boy. I know what show I'm on. He's not good, Jody. Oh, boy. I know what show I'm on. Oh, Travis Kelsey is this fluid superstar, and Rob Gronkowski is this Frankenstein's monster out there. Looks very stiff. He is a human English muffin. <laughs> Are Sammy Watkins and Amari Cooper the same guy? Oh, boy. Dachshund, Parker, Spider-Man me. Yeah, he was making fart sounds somewhere. <laughs> I also just traded away last night Traquan Smith. <laughs> Great. That felt good. Balls to the wall. I want you to go bolder because you gave me Larry Fitzgerald as your truther candidate. Like I said, someone's going to walk into uh, Gillette Stadium and punk him. Dwayne fucking Allen and Kobe fucking Fleener. Toy boat, toy boat, toy. Fuck! Damn it! Toy boat, toy boat. Though, I say I already messed it up too. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. To, to, ah, I, I even slowed it down and I couldn't do it. Damn it!
Toy boat, 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 toy boat.